So carbon credits are just a, a transitioning mechanism towards a world where hopefully we're just consuming less carbon. And as an investor, it's an amazing way to speculate on that and to invest in something, in this example, the reforesting, uh, reforesting the earth or, or whatever type of credit that you buy, make money on it, but then ultimately, you know, hopefully transition towards a greener, uh, a greener future. We know that building wealth comes from owning businesses and making investments. Yet why still do nearly half of businesses fail in the first five years, and why do others lose it all in their investments? Welcome to the Wealth Watchers Podcast, your resource for building a massive net worth. We bring real stories from real people who are experts in business and investing, who will share secrets and actionable strategies to amassing wealth and achieving success. Brought to you by Happy Camper Capital. And now, your hosts, Justin Hoggett and Adam Lendy. Welcome back to the Wealth Watchers Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Lundy. With me, as always, is my co-host, Justin Hoggett. Justin, what's up today? Hey, not much. Uh, having a great week so far. Just kicking it off strong, catching up, doing a lot of phone calls. Uh, how are you doing, Adam? Uh, I'm doing well. What makes your week starting off so great? Did you have a fun weekend? Uh, yeah, I had a good weekend up in the altitude of Leadville, Colorado. Um, a lot of rain, cool weather. Didn't feel like summer, but uh, good family time and uh, good Father's Day. Yeah, right on, man. Well, good. Let's uh, let's dive in, um, and then obviously we'll get back to hammering it like we are. Obviously, um, as everybody who's been following us knows, we've been hustling on a project we're working on right now to get raised. But um, let's bring on our guest today. His name's Anthony Maluski. He's the chairman of Nickel Twenty Eight uh, and an investor. Anthony, how are you today? Great. Thanks a lot for having me, guys. Absolutely. What's Nickel Twenty Eight? You know, Nickel Twenty Eight is uh, a co-owner of. Ramu Nickel Mine, which is the largest producer of MHP in the world. MHP is a type of nickel. It's the type of nickel that goes into electric vehicles, among other things. So whenever you look around, you see a Tesla or one of these other vehicles, you just know that there might be some of our nickel in there. Got it. And how long have you been in that space? You know, I've actually been a commodities investor my entire career. You know, I started off forever ago as a uh, securities lawyer, Skadden Arps in Russia working on um, transactions and commodities and then later, you know, switched over to a banker and finally was at a hedge fund and private equity fund. But that entire time was investing in, in commodities, soft commodities, minerals, uh, oil and gas. So that's kind of where I spent my life. Oh, cool. Well, I guess that, that's a good asset to be in right now with the electric vehicles where they're going today. huh? Yeah. And not just that, just inflation. I mean, if you look at everything that's happening in the world, the commodities is a really interesting space as, as global currencies debase and, and hard assets become important again, at least for investment purposes. Yeah, right on. Well, obviously, I want to get a little more into that and then a little more into what you're here to talk about today. Um, however, before we do that, I want to get to know the man behind the story today. So if you could indulge us and share a little bit about your background, kind of what brought you to what you're doing today in commodities or any of the stuff you're doing today. And then, of course, why does you do what you do? Yeah, no, uh, look, I love fishing, rafting, and skiing. In other words, like my whole life, I grew up in Eastern Washington. I, I love the outdoors. And, uh, you know, when I started off my career, like in a way, working in natural resources was kind of about being in the outdoors. You go to a mine, you go to a forestry site. And, you know, about seven or eight years ago, it, it really struck me this transition that was underway uh, towards green energy, towards decarbonization, towards, you know, taking plastic out of the ocean. And, and so I really 
um, tried to combine what I like, my passion for the outdoors with, with what I knew how to do, which was invest in commodities. And so I started investing in things like nickel and cobalt, which are part of batteries, copper, which is part of um, all the kind of electrical interfaces that you see. And, and then, you know, as I made that transition, what I really realized was in order to accelerate decarbonization, I became really interested in environmental commodities like carbon credits. And, and that was the transition, was thinking about a way to, uh, you know, make money for my investors, for shareholders, but also potentially do something for the environment at the same time. And I know that sounds weird because everyone always thinks of the commodities business as being dirty and, and they're not wrong. But at the same time, when you look around the room that you two sit in or any of your listeners are sitting in, everything you see is either mined or grown, basically. So there's like the fundamental building blocks, base, base elements of our lives. And so, you know, transitioning into these environmental commodities that really helped us make that transition was really kind of interesting, both as a human, but also because it kind of puts me back in touch with, with what I love, which is the outdoors. Yeah. Well, I, I love the, the mission that you're on. So I may hijack the show for this, but uh, I, I would love to know more about carbon credits. So, you know, it's something I've been researching for a while and there are, frankly, aren't a lot of good experts out there. So tell me what you know, what, what do I need to know about carbon credits? So first of all, and I'm going to generalize here because this is like how long is a piece of string, <laughs> but um, there are two primary markets globally. There's a regulated market and a voluntary market. And the regulated market would be like the European credits or the California credits. And those kind of trade like water. There are EFs and, and if your investors want to speculate, they can literally go and buy your listeners, excuse me, they go buy an ETF. But for me, what's interesting are the voluntary carbon markets. And the voluntary carbon market is when you see uh, Delta Airlines, Coca-Cola, whoever is going to be carbon neutral or reduce their carbon footprint by X amount by 2030. You know, they're voluntarily doing that. And they have to buy their credits somewhere. And there are lots of different types of credits, but the credits I think are most nature-based solutions. And those are credits that are generated from some sort of activity that enhances nature. And they could be blue credits, helping the ocean. They could be reforestation credits, replanting trees. They could be credits which prevent trees from being cut down or save wildlife. So there's a huge variety of credits that ultimately need to be registered by agencies like Vera and Gold Standard. But uh, what's interesting about these is, is these credits are issued and they're sold to companies. And this is all really what's hopefully a temporary system lasting 20 to 50 years. And I say temporary because hopefully what happens is the world transitions to, uh, to a place where people have either consumed less or they are building the widget, as it were, in a way which is less carbon intensive. So carbon credits are just a, a transitioning mechanism towards a world where hopefully we're just consuming less carbon. And as an investor, it's an amazing way to speculate on that and to invest in something, in this example, just reforesting, uh, reforesting the earth or, or whatever type of credit that you buy, make money on it, but then ultimately, you know, hopefully transition towards a greener, uh, a greener future. Right. So now the companies that are voluntarily creating the carbon credits, are they generally selling those to the companies that are, you know, I, I guess, have compulsory compliance for their carbon footprint? Not at all. Um, Compulsory compliance credits are typically sold through a government. So like the EAU would be um, a regulated credit. The, the people who are buying them, like, like take a company in Canada called Carbon Streaming Corp, right? Uh, they have a project in uh, Indonesia, uh, Rimbaraya. So that generates credits annually. And 
you know, from what I can see that the individual groups buying those are banks, companies, airlines who are not required by law to offset their carbon footprint, but instead are voluntarily offsetting it because of either investor demand or consumer demand. And so the whole voluntary market is really driven by investors and consumers demanding the way polluters pollute changes. Uh, and that's in contrast to the regulated market where you're in the state of California and California said you need to buy X offsets every year and you got, by the way, you got to buy them from us, meaning California. Um, and I think that through time, the voluntary market is going to dwarf the regulated market. That's not true today, but I think that will be kind of true over time. Yeah, I, I heard a podcast not long ago on this topic and the, the guy who was presenting on there, he was estimating that the uh, carbon credit trading market was going to create the next trillionaire or the first trillionaire in the world. I don't know. What, I mean, you're talking about it being more of a transitory thing. I thought it was a pretty bold statement. You know, how big yeah. do you think this gets in the next 20, 50 years? I mean, you know, by all accounts, it can be larger than the hydrocarbon business. If, if you think about what needs to happen to be carbon neutral. Um, but, but I think the goal isn't that carbon credits go on forever. It's, it's that we come to a place where the processes by which the widgets are created consume less carbon. You know, that, that's how I see it. Um, because ultimately, you know, Coca-Cola, I'm just picking a name, I don't know, Delta, Coca-Cola, whoever, ultimately they're still emitting even though they offset it. And I think where you get to is, you know, it, maybe they're just emitting a fraction of what they're emitting, but along the way through the, these credits, hopefully they're like, replanting forests in this example or, or doing something with um, mangroves in Mexico or you know any of the hundreds of projects that are out there. And so I really see this as um, you know a 40 or 60 year kind of transition to a place where hopefully companies and people have changed uh, consumption habits and just the way that that things are actually made because that there's a lot of carbon in building and travel and everything else that we do with our lives. Yeah. Now, and this is a space that you're currently trading in? Yeah, uh, you know, I've been involved in financing a number of these companies in Canada um, and also some private companies. And, you know, it's really enjoyable because I can think of a couple examples where, you know, the money has flowed in or is in the process of flowing into projects that are going to have a material impact on environments. And so, you know, that's kind of in contrast to some of the other things you do in the commodities business where maybe that that impact is a little bit of a derivative impact in other words if you build a copper mine you know that copper can help with the energy transition but it, it's not as kind of visible as if you go into a hundred thousand square acres and reforest it or or prevent it from being deforested so uh yeah i've been really active i actually started trading the credits as well now it's maybe been three or four years ago and and just in general um active in the space and, and really keen on its development. And I think it's going to develop beyond this, you know, methane is, um, is awful. And there's interesting things that need to happen around methane and the emission of methane as a, as a, a greenhouse gas. So, you know, this whole kind of category, we'll call it environmental commodities, and it's not defined as such, but it just encompasses a bunch of these commodities. I think is going to be the trade of the next decade. Uh, and it'll be like any other commodities trade. It's going to kind of ebb and flow, you know, carbon credits have sold off to a certain extent, you know, four months, just like every other commodity class out there, um, every other really risk class out there. But I think what you're going to see is um, it, it's something that is really important to uh, living in an industrialized world if, if we're going to like sustain the way that we live our lives. 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's I, that's one interesting component of that. Now, um, you, you're doing a lot of commodities. Is there anything? Is, is it all commodities, or is there any other? Because I know kind of your space is that I I, I want to say alternative assets, but commodities typically aren't. But is it all commodities, or is there anything else that you guys are working in? You know, I've invested a little bit in AI, but I'm, you know, it's just it's so hard to understand. You know, I mean, you think you're a smart guy, and you go in there and. Uh, they're talking about the algorithm. I think the metaverse is really interesting. I think a lot of marketplaces will transition there, but I've not invested. I, I think it's interesting though. Um, and then I've looked at psychedelics. I, you know, I, I, um, I also think as a medicine, that's pretty interesting, but I think that the regulatory burdens are pretty high there. And so I don't think it will be as successful in the near term as say marijuana was because marijuana, you had you know, all this kind of deregulation in particular in the US. And I don't really foresee that with psychedelics, but I, I think that that's interesting. But, you know, really just the commodity space consumes 99% um, of my time other than like tangential things which sort of come in that maybe a friend's investing in and I follow them in. Well, it might be a good way to, to learn on the commodities uh, aspect of things. Uh, you know, as a new investor getting into that space, uh, like, a, you know, what are some resources in order to feel comfortable on investing into that? Yeah. So for, first of all, I recommend to anyone who who's going into a new space, and I don't know what your guys' advice has been historically, but I always think ETFs are a great way. Um, so like, let's pretend you like gold, just to pick an example. You know, I, like I really don't recommend for a first time person to go and buy a particular gold stock because your uncle Jimmy told you that he heard from his friend Billy this was going to be a great stock. If, in fact, for whatever reason, monetary policy and interest rates are going to taper off, you know, if you have some view about why that's interesting, uh, I think that you buy the GDXJ or the GDX, by way of example. The same thing goes for uh, like electric, electric metals, you know, nickel and copper. There are highly liquid ETFs that I think are a great starting point for, um, for anybody who wants to know. The other place I would go is if you, and I think base metals, for instance, are very interesting. Base metals would be considered like copper, nickel, and those are really key to this energy transition we talked about. You know, like having uh, grid, grid batteries inside of your, your neighborhood with everyone connected to solar. I mean, this is a decades long trend. Um, I would go to the large producers like Rio Tinto, BHP, Freeport, and what you'll find is the information on those websites is incredibly informative. Like the, the disclosure level because they're registered by the SEC is extremely high. And so they can forecast in and they have really intelligent, um, they're really intelligent analysis of the space. And what I would not recommend for someone new to the space is to go buy a micro cap. Admittedly, I've made a living doing that. Um, and I've had some big wins and I've had even bigger losses. And so I would just say, it's worth, by the way, if you're listening to this, to really think about copper, think about nickel. Um, those are two particular ones that I like, but I wouldn't just jump in and Google it and find out you know, what $10 million market cap company is there and buy it. Instead, I would look at ETFs, I would look at big cap stocks that are liquid, and then look to them for information in their filings as a starting point. I mean, that, I would just, that's just generally true of all commodities, and this is what I do for a living. I do love micro cap stocks, but you just get smoked out if you don't have that background and that experience and so the best place to start is with a really big cap name in my opinion yeah it's interesting because i mean i've heard the advice before of course on buying gold now this is probably more from the people who 
you know, really want that independence from the financial system about how you should hold your commodities. Now, holding nickel and copper would be incredibly space-taking. That would be a, take a lot of space to hold $10,000 worth of nickel, I would think. But uh, you can hold it in an ETF. Exactly. Yes. And, and that's what that's kind of the point I was getting to is, you know, obviously with gold, it's one thing you can have a couple bars and that's quite a bit, but uh, holding a lot of nickel would probably take up a lot of room. So uh, probably not a bad move, at least until you're you, you learn it, unless you know you just decide to stick there. So um, nickel and copper, um, you know, I, I guess, what, what are the what, you know, we know the concerns we're seeing in the markets right now. Um, just I mean, these are traded in the market as being an ETF. Did you see any any exposure risk? Um, being in with everything else. Oh, oh look, look, I mean, I, like I feel very strongly about this. Um, all risk assets are correlated when it's risk off initially. Uh, and you can look back, if you have a Bloomberg terminal, you pull it up, you can look back to 2008. You can look back to any time as a huge market correction and everything's correlated. Look at crypto, look at, I mean, everything gets correlated in the risk asset department. And then, you know, pretty quickly after that, then you have a rebalancing. Uh, but, you know, if you are of the view here that Fed's going to hike another 75 points and the market's going to sell down another 20%, I mean, you should own nothing but cash. They'd be ridiculous to own any risk asset. Um, notwithstanding that, um, I do think that that is the key risk to owning any of these equity or even physical back ETFs is just that when nobody cares about owning any risk, no one's going to care about owning this particular risk. Now, there's some other risks I would also associate with the commodity space just in general here too. So, you know, China has had these lockdowns that have been pretty severe and, and they're not easing up. Uh, a, a big chunk of the global demand for commodities comes out of China. And so, um, you know, if that demand goes down by 50%, you're going to have a pretty big shock to, to commodities because it's not going to get consumed. That's just a fact. Uh, the other one is, you know, the war in Russia and what that has done is really disrupted energy flows. That's, you know, one of the largest nickel producers in the world is there. A lot of the world's grain comes out of uh, Russia and Ukraine. And so, you know, those kinds of things are really disruptive to the market as well. And so, yeah, I wouldn't just recommend that anyone just go jump in right now. I mean, personally, I'm not, it's June 20th. We're going to have lower volumes over the summer uncertainty about inflation. Like I'm not in the market buying anything right now. I just sit on the sidelines. And so, um, you know, market timing is always hard. And so I think you need to have a, a view that's, you know, probably a couple of years here if you're going to enter a position. But just to reiterate, the risks around uh, the global macro, in, in particular, as they pertain to risk assets like equities, uh, will hold true here as well. So no matter what the fundamentals are of copper, if there's a 20% sell-off from here in the S&P, I promise you every copper name is going down too, no matter what the fundamentals are. And the same would be true of nickel. So I think that's um, an important one. And the China point is particularly important. And in fact, that might pose the buying opportunity. The numbers start to come out and China has really slowed down, which I don't see how it can just because it's locked down or has been. You know, and then you have an overreaction to um, commodity equities, and they probably over oversell, get oversold. I think that's actually probably a pretty interesting uh, entry point for for the big cap names and the large ETFs. Yeah, got it. Uh, so obviously, I, I get your point on this too. Now, you mentioned something that I, I agree with. The, the question I had is: it seems like when one asset or one area is affected, it has that ripple effect, as you suggested. Of course, you know, one market gets hit; they all kind of take a little bit of a beating. 
Um, but in general, how are, you know, I guess some of these uh, greener alternatives or um, let's just say commodities, a good hedge against other market instability? They're not a hedge at all. Okay. Uh, they're totally, uh, look, I'm, I have a few views which may or may not be popular. One is cycles are short now. So we might have a full-blown recession in 14 or 16 months and would have last five years a decade ago or something. So cycles are short. Uh, all risk assets are correlated when it's risk off. And, and um, so owning commodities to hedge some big risk off event doesn't make any sense to me because when everything sells, these names are going to sell as well. Um, and so I think if you were sitting thinking about, wow, I kind of agree with this energy transition idea or carbon or any of these things, but in the next breath, you would also say, well, I think the Fed's going to hike 75 points and I think the S&P is going down another 15%. I would just sit on the sidelines. Um, now, that's part one, but part two is outperformance when the market turns. And I think when the market does turn, then you can see outperformance. Um, you know, in, a, in an inflationary environment, once the market is stabilized, you know, then commodity equities can outperform. You know, some of that stuff can then change, but but I think your short-term views of what's happening in the market really matter in terms of entering a new position, right? Because I don't believe almost any risk asset is a hedge um, short of being short or something. I don't think any of these things are really hedges. I mean, look at gold and crypto, right? Like I thought crypto was everybody's hedge. What's happening to crypto again? Remind me, <laughs> got crushed. Right. Uh, gold. Right, gold's at 1850 or whatever it's at, 1800. I haven't looked. You know, what, what's the hedge there? Nothing. So I, I think that risk off equates to risk off for everyone now. Anthony, before we jump, um, I would like to know obviously, you may or may not be able to give investing advice. However, if you were to maybe go back and start over again, getting into this space, what would be your strategy? If I was to start over in this space again, um, you know, what I would say is uh, I would be more focused on, on either or. Either you're hyper short-term focused and you are trading or you're long-term focused. I think it's very hard to be a two to three year guy in this space because, you know, commodity cycles are long. It takes a long time for supply and demand to catch up, which is almost impossible to find inside of a fund. Or you have to be able to or mentally be prepared to trade the tape. You know, if you copper runs and you've made your money, you've got to sell it. And so I think, I think kind of understanding who you are, like as a, are you predisposed towards moving quickly, moving in and out, or are you more predisposed towards a really long-term horizon? And if it's a long-term horizon, you know, you should look at private equity because they have like a 10 year plus three year structure. And, you know, as a retail investor, the long term is tough because, you know, equity raises and all this stuff. But I think, if you're going to play it as, a, as an equity investor and a retail kind of investor, I think you really need to stay on top of these names. You shouldn't buy them and come back in 10 years. This is not the S&P. You know, a lot, of, a lot of analysts say stuff like you never really own a commodity name. You just rent it. I mean, there's those kind of things that people say. And I think that's true. And um, if you like the space, you got to stay on top of your names. Don't fall in love. Um, and if you want to hold something for 10 years, you know what, go buy the S&P and reinvest the dividends because that's a better bet. Anthony, if, if someone heard something that resonated with them, they'd like to get in touch with you, learn more about commodities and some of the green offerings you have, what's the best way to do that? 
you know, either uh, my Twitter, just follow me, Anthony Linsky, or theorgangroup.com. Uh, I write a little bit about commodities on a, on a blog style thing there. Okay, super. We'll link up in the show notes. Um, I'm going to pass it over to Justin for the Wealth Watchers Brain Pick. Justin, take it away. All right, Anthony, I got five quick questions for you. What is your superpower or unique natural ability? Uh, ability to make friends. All right, that's a good, good one. Um, second one, if you were to go back three to five years, what might you have done differently that you wish you could have? Short the COVID market. <laughs> <laughs> bought and sold bitcoin uh you know what i would have done I, I think you know there's this saying which is like the best time to plant a tree was 30 years ago the next best time is today and i think that's true with fitness as well like you know we're always going to lose weight or run or do this i think i would have i would have uh you know just worked out more earlier yeah good and and so where are you headed in the next three to five years Hopefully uh, able to continue down this path of making money and helping to save the environment. Good. And uh, do you have a favorite book on business or money? Uh, you know, I was thinking about that and there's a book called King Leopold's Ghost and it's about Africa. And it's really the story of, it's a, a horrific story actually. It's about the colonization of what is today the Congo. But it's really interesting because of the way that they use shell companies and, and hit things and, you know, I come away with it thinking, first of all, it was it's kind of appalling what happened there. It's, but but also the more things change, the more nothing changes because the corporate structures and the way they did that is kind of the same way things work today. And so it's just this reminder that kind of there are no new ideas, they're just different, you know? It's, it's worth the read, I understand. I think it's, I've read a lot of books on Africa. It's one of the most kind of, uh, I find it to be one of the most interesting books to help understand why there are so many problems and, and how much Europe played a part in creating those problems. Interesting. Yeah, I've not heard of that one. I'll have to check that one out. I got, I got to tell you a note about this book. It's actually just the book itself is a story. So in the prologue, it says it, but they went to like 26 publishers or some crazy number and they could never get published. Everyone's like, we don't need another book on the Congo. And then uh, the, the, I'm making it up. It might've been 23 or 27, whatever it was. But then they get published by this press, and now it's maybe one of the best-selling books all time about Africa. And so there's like some like message in there about perseverance, and like just because other people don't like what you have to say doesn't mean it other you know doesn't mean they're right. Right, I love that. What has been your biggest aha moment? Um, let me think about that. I think uh, you know I think. Probably when my grandfather died, just, you know, just kind of thinking about it and realizing that, uh, you know, we're here for a good time, not a long time. And, you know, you got to really manage the time that you have and you might as well be doing stuff with people you like and things you want to do, which is really cliche, but it really kind of hit home. That happened maybe 10 years ago now. And you just kind of realized, man, like, yeah, this is you sooner than you think it's going to be. You know, that, that was kind of the conversations I was having towards the end of his life. Like, you know, this thing is over so quick. So you might as well do the best you, you can with what you have. Excellent advice. Yeah, I, I think it's easy to sometimes forget about that when you get in the mix of work or investing or whatever it is. And, um, you know, uh, coming off the Father's Day weekend is sometimes a, a good remembrance to make sure you're there too. So, yeah, definitely. Well, thank you, Anthony. Um, yeah. Any uh, last parting words that you want to share with us? 
You know, I, I would just have one last parting word around um, carbon credits and environmental commodities and, and just say that um, you know, this problem that is facing us with the environment, I think it feels really overwhelming. But you know what? Everyone can do something. If you recycle the plastic at your household, you're doing something. And I, I would just say, like, you know, the journey begins with the first step. And uh, we can't all save the earth, but we can all save the earth together if we just do our part. And so it's really important at home in our organizations to just do the smallest thing. It'll take you one minute a day and you'll be having an impact for the better. Awesome. Well, thanks again. Uh, definitely appreciate your insight today and uh, all you had to share. Thanks a lot, guys. And let me know when you um, post it and I'll, I'll send it through our social media as well. Will do, Anthony. Thank you for coming on today. Thanks. Uh, this has been another episode of the Wealth Watch podcast. I'm your host, Adam Lundy, for my co-host, Justin Hoggett, and I. Thanks for stopping by. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. Until next time. This has been the Wealth Watchers podcast. If you enjoyed this content, please subscribe and leave a review on your podcast player of choice. Join us on Facebook, where our members and guests are actively engaging in discussions on wealth growing strategies by searching for Wealth Watchers Community on Facebook. 